Section 10 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2 by washington irving section ten chapter two the very first movements of the great peter on taking the reins of government displayed his magnanimity though they occasioned not a little marvel and uneasiness among the people of the manhattoes finding himself constantly interrupted by the opposition and annoyed by the advice of his privy council the members of which had acquired the unreasonable habit of thinking and speaking to themselves during the preceding reign he determined at once to put a stop to such grievous abominations scarcely therefore had he entered upon his authority than he turned out of office all the meddlesome spirits of the factious cabinet of william the testy in place of whom he chose unto himself counsellors from those fat somniferous respectable burghers who had flourished and slumbered under the easy reign of walter the doubter all these he caused to be furnished with abundance of fair long pipes and to be regaled with frequent corporation dinners admonishing them to smoke and eat and sleep for the good of the nation while he took the burden of government upon his own shoulders an arrangement to which they all gave hearty acquiescence nor did he stop here but made a hideous rout among the inventions and expedients of his learned predecessor rooting up his patent gallows where caddis vagabonds were suspended by the waistband demolishing his flagstaffs and windmills which like mighty giants guarded the ramparts of new amsterdam pitching to the dival hole batteries of quaker guns and in a word turning topsy-turvy the whole philosophic economic and windmill system of the immortal sage of sardom the honest folk of new amsterdam began to quake now for the fate of their matchless champion antony the trumpeter who had acquired prodigious favor in the eyes of the women by means of his whiskers and his trumpet him did peter the headstrong cause to be brought into his presence and eyeing him for a moment from head to foot with a countenance that would have appalled anything else than a sounder of brass prithee who and what art thou said he sire replied the other in no wise dismayed for my name it is antony von corlier for my parentage i am the son of my mother for my profession i am champion and garrison of this great city of new amsterdam i doubt me much said peter stuyvesant that thou art some scurvy costard monger knave how didst thou acquire this paramount honour and dignity marry sir replied the other like many a great man before me simply by sounding my own trumpet ay is it so quoth the governor why then let us have a relish of thy art whereupon the good antony put his instrument to his lips and sounded a charge with such tremendous outset such a delectable quaver and such a triumphant cadence that it was enough to make one's heart leap out of one's mouth only to be within a mile of it like as a war-worn charger 
grazing in peaceful plains, starts at a strain of martial music, pricks up his ears, and snorts, and paws, and kindles at the noise. So did the heroic Peter joy to hear the clangor of the trumpet, for of him might truly be said, what was recorded of the renowned St. George of England, there is nothing in all the world that more rejoiced his heart than to hear the pleasant sound of war, and see the soldiers brandish forth their steeled weapons. Casting his eye more kindly, therefore, upon the sturdy von Corlier, and finding him to be a jovial varlet, shrewd in his discourse, yet of great discretion, and immeasurable wind, he straightway conceived a vast kindness for him, and discharging him from the troublesome duty of garrisoning, defending, and alarming the city, ever after retained him about his person, as his chief favorite, confidential envoy, and trusty squire. Instead of disturbing the city with disastrous notes, he was instructed to play so as to delight the governor while at his repasts, as did the minstrels of yore in the days of glorious chivalry, and on all public occasions to rejoice the ears of the people with warlike melody, thereby keeping alive a noble and martial spirit. But the measure of the valiant Peter, which produced the greatest agitation in the community, was his laying his hand upon the currency. He had old-fashioned notions in favor of gold and silver, which he considered the true standards of wealth and mediums of commerce, and one of his first edicts was that all duties to government should be paid in those precious metals, and that sea-want or wampum should no longer be a legal tender. Here was a blow at public prosperity. All those who speculated on the rise and fall of this fluctuating currency found their calling at an end. Those, too, who had hoarded Indian money by barrels full, found their capital shrunk in amount. But, above all, the Yankee traders, who were accustomed to flood the market with newly coined oyster-shells, and to abstract Dutch merchandise in exchange, were loud-mouthed into crying this tampering with the currency. It was clipping the wings of commerce, it was checking the development of public prosperity. Trade would be at an end, goods would moulder on the shelves, grain would rot in the granaries, grass would grow in the market-place. In a word, no one who has not heard the outcries and howlings of a modern Tarshish, and any check upon paper money, can have any idea of the clamour against Peter the Headstrong for checking the circulation of oyster-shells. In fact, trade did shrink into narrower channels, but then the stream was deep as it was broad. The honest Dutchmen sold less goods, but then they got the worth of them, either in silver and gold, or in codfish, tinware, apple brandy, Weathersfield onions, wooden bowls, and other articles of Yankee barter. The ingenious people of the East, however, indemnified themselves in another way for having to abandon the coinage of oyster-shells, for about this time we are told that wooden nutmegs made their first appearance in New Amsterdam, to the great annoyance of the Dutch housewives. Note. From a manuscript record of the province, Library, New York Historical Society, we have been unable to render your inhabitants wiser and prevent their being further imposed upon than to declare absolutely and peremptorily that henceforth sea-want shall be bullion, not longer admissible in trade without any value as it is indeed, so that every one may be upon his guard to barter no longer away his wares and merchandise for these baubles, 
at least not to accept them at a higher rate or in a larger quantity than as they may want them in their trade with the savages in this way your english yankee neighbors shall no longer be enabled to draw the best wares and merchandise from our country for nothing the beavers and furs not accepted this has indeed long since been insufferable although it ought chiefly to be imputed to the imprudent penuriousness of our own merchants and inhabitants who it is to be hoped shall through the abolition of the sea want become wiser and more prudent twenty seventh january sixteen sixty two sea want falls into disrepute duties to be paid in silver coin End of section ten recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida